Hi, I'm Margie Nomura, and welcome to the Desert Island Dishes podcast. This is the podcast where every week I ask my guests to choose their seven Desert Island dishes. These range from finding out about the dish that most reminds them of their childhood, the best dish they've ever eaten, and of course, the last dish they would choose to eat before being cast off to the Desert Island. Hello, everyone. Gosh, it feels so lovely to be saying those words again. I've really missed doing this podcast and it feels so good to be back. Well, I should say nearly back. And I say that because before you get too excited, we are going to be putting out a few golden oldies over the next few weeks, just some of our most popular from over the years to whet the appetite and get you excited about the new season, which we are currently recording. So there isn't long to go. If you haven't heard these before, hopefully you're going to love them. And if you have, well, I don't know about you, but I listen to podcast episodes again and again. I find it oddly soothing to listen to words that I've already heard. So hopefully that might be the same for you. And perhaps you listened ages ago and you will be hearing it anew. You might well be wondering where on earth I've been, (laughs) which is a very fair question. I've been off having my second baby and looking after my two girls, making the most of the time with them. And to be honest, I've been busy, (laughs) Um, but it's a very weird feeling to feel so busy and then be seen to be so quiet, if that makes any sense. But I feel so excited about what we have planned for Desert Island Dishes. We really want to turn it into this amazing community of people who love food, who love to cook, who are interested in the stories behind the food that people love and kind of everything that falls in between all those things. So if you do enjoy the podcast, then make sure you're following along on social media. Check out the website as we start to build out lots of exciting things for you. And all of this to say in a very long-winded way, thank you so much for sticking with me, for sticking with Desert Island Dishes during our quiet season. But we are very much back and really, really excited for all that's in store you are the big reason for the success of this podcast. And every time you share it on social media or with your email list, or you tell your friends about it, it really does help it to grow. And that's what has enabled me to keep bringing it to you. So thank you very much. I thought it would be appropriate to kick off with one of our most popular episodes to date with the one and only Stanley Tucci. To be honest, I'm still pinching myself really that I got to go to his house (laughs) and we sat in his amazing artist studio, which is at the bottom of his garden. And to get there, you walk past his amazing garden outdoor kitchen. I mean, just the dream. And, you know, we talked all things food and it was dreamy. He is everything that you would imagine him to be and more. So I do hope you enjoy. My guest today is Stanley Tucci. Stanley is a multi-award-winning actor, director, writer, and producer. You may know him from films such as Big Night, Julie and Julia, Lucky Number Seven, Conspiracy, Devil Wears Prada, The Lovely Bones, or The Hunger Games, to literally name just a few. His other great love in life is food, and it has been said of Stanley that he is a food connoisseur who also happens to act and direct. Whilst reminiscing on his childhood, he has said, 
Food has become a kind of obsession with me, but it is more than that. It is another limb or organ, and it is part of who I am. Welcome, Stanley. <laughs> oh, thank you. So I know I should play it very cool, but anyone who listens to this regularly will know that that is not in my nature. And I'm so excited to have you <laughs> on Desert Island Dishes. To get us started, how do you think you'll get on on the Desert Island? Well, I think I'll, I'll get on well. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Are you good in your own company? Yes, yeah, sometimes, because I'm a multiple personality, so it's easy. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> like most actors, yeah. 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 <laughs> so I know from everything I've read that you grew up in a family that loved food. You say it was integral to who you were and the way you lived. So let's talk about the first Desert Island dish. And that's the dish that most reminds you of your childhood. Oh, it's so hard. There are so many that remind me of my childhood because my childhood, well, my childhood was so much about food. Okay, I suppose it would be... It's funny, I keep coming back to it. These little potato croquettes that my mom made that were my grandmother's recipe. They're absolutely delicious, and I keep meaning to make them. I have to make them. They're so good. And I remember we we lived in Italy when I was a kid. I was 12 and 13 for for a year we lived there. And I had a terrible flu for almost a week or something, really, really bad stomach flu. And as I started to sort of, you know, mend a bit. All I could think about were these potato croquettes. And my mother then made them for me when I got better. And That's when you know them. you're feeling better. That's when you know you're feeling better, exactly. <laughs> and I always think about them. They're so good. And I don't, anyway, that's, that's yeah. That sounds delicious. Yeah, I, I like some of them now. Yeah, me too. It sounds like you were just surrounded by the most amazing cooks. I think I read that your grandmother, Conchetta, was constantly cooking mm. and she made amazing pizza and pasta. And then your grandfather would make his own salamis and sausages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really am- amazing. So, and we also got, they bottled their own tomato too. So they would buy cases of tomato. And then I think some of the tomato also came from their garden. And we put them into a um, white pillowcase and you would squeeze them. So you'd squeeze all the juice out of them. Yeah. And then into a big tin, like a big um, galvanized aluminum, uh, I don't know, like a, like a wash tub. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so everything goes into there. Then it gets put into bottles and capped and then it gets boiled and you had that tomato sauce with a little bit of salt in it a little bit of basil and you had that for the rest of the winter oh my goodness oh my god it was so great but they did everything you know they did everything they pickled tomatoes they pickled this they you know they were pretty amazing and they were all based in america with you yeah. everyone moved over yeah they well they moved over i mean obviously they came over at the turn of the last century so um my father's family ended up in vermont and then moved down to Peekskill and my mother's family ended up in Peekskill and that's how they ended up meeting. Ah, And I guess in a family like that, you kind of have to love food. Otherwise you kind of risk being ostracized. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think there's not even a question of not loving it. You just love it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's there's clearly something wrong with you if you don't love it. Yeah. I completely agree with that. And both sides of your family originally came from Calabria, Mm -hmm. which is right in the South. And I read somewhere that if you think of Italy as being a boot shape, then Calabria is the toe. Yes. You describe the food that you ate at home as being real Italian food and not in your words, heavy Italian food. And there, there is quite a big difference, isn't there? There is because a lot of, you know, Italian cuisine in America became Italian American cuisine. And by that, I mean, it became, it changed very distinctly in that 
meat was used a lot more and it was used it wasn't just used more in dishes it was you there was more in each dish okay and the servings the portions changed everything became bigger everything became smothered in sauce everything had extra amounts of meat and fat and that's not an italian diet an italian diet actually is an incredibly healthy diet everything is done in is sort of eaten in moderation so italians will eat substantial meals during the day and at night too but but the portions are are really appropriate they're appropriate yeah. for a human being yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> I know what you're for, saying. A, for a glutton you know what i mean yeah and and when you have sauce the sauce isn't your pasta isn't smothered in sauce but because there was uh, so much more available in america those dishes became there was an abundance of all this stuff and it was just used and it was also used to satisfy the american palate mm. as well yeah it's so interesting isn't it your mom sounds amazing. And is it true that when she met your father, she told you that at that stage she couldn't even boil water? But then it sounds like no. she turned into an incredible cook. Yeah, she's an incredible yeah. cook. Yeah. Yeah. She's <laughs> one of the best cooks I've ever I've ever encountered. I can't believe that that story is true. Yeah. Do you uh, think it is? I think she's just being self-effacing. Okay. No, I no way. No way. <laughs> but all I know now is that she's an extraordinary cook. It, it just it, it, it innately too. I mean, she's learned, she's taught herself, she's learned from people. But she never took a course. She never took a class. She never. But she is one of those people, I think, like her mother, too. Had they decided to, they would have been great chefs. Yeah. 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 Like so many. I feel like of, of that generation. Yes. There are so many. Yeah. That could have been amazing. But it wasn't. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't what you did. Yeah. It was a different time. Yeah. So that seems a good time to talk about the second desert island dish. And that is the first dish that you learned to cook. I think the first dish I learned to cook was probably pasta aioglio. Ooh. So pasta, olive oil, and garlic. That's probably the first thing I learned. And how old were you when you'd be cooking that? Maybe about 14, oh, something yeah. like that. Yeah. So you were interested from a young age? I was interested, yeah, but I wasn't, I wasn't as interested as I should have been. Okay, um, you were a good eater. I was an incredible eater. Well, that's the time. Yeah, incredibly. <laughs> I mean, I ate like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would have three bowls of pasta at, for dinner, and then we'd have, you know, chicken or something. I mean, I ate like, and I weighed nothing. Oh. You know, I would eat like 10 men. It was, yeah. Stanley, you're making me jealous. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so as you say, you lived in Florence for a year at the age of 12 when your dad, who was an art teacher, took a sabbatical and you went to school there. And you say within two months, you were fluent in Italian. And that's really when you fell in love with art, isn't it? During that trip. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I was always interested in it because my dad was always doing something. I mean, I, I would go to school with him in the summer sometimes when he taught summer school. Um, and I loved that because he, and he taught me how to do a lot of different things. And then watching him, well, he would, we, sometimes we would pick, pick him up or meet him at the, uh, he studied at the Academia in Florence. And he was very excited about it. I mean, because, you know, there he was studying at one of the most important art institutions in the world, learning bronze casting and it was very exciting yeah. for him. And, and I did fall, I did very much fall in love with art. And the, I think I, I began, you began to understand the connection between classical art and contemporary art, which is what my dad was trained in, which I loved and, and still love, particularly, I think, the abstract expressionism. And, and but so you really were able to start to make those connections. Yeah. And you loved it so much that you did think about sort of doing that. I did as yeah. a career, but yeah. of starting to act. I know you've said 
I just always knew as a child that when I performed in plays, I felt more comfortable on stage than I did off stage. And I think that's a really common experience with people who fall in love with acting. And I guess it's sort of counterintuitive, but actually perhaps it's less scary to pretend to be someone else because you can always fall back on the fact that you're acting. Yes. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah. yeah it's, not, it's, it's very safe being somebody else. Also, because you're only going to be that person for a very short period of time, mm. unless you're doing an incredibly long run of a play. Yeah. As a child, were you quite extroverted? Like, were you very confident? I was at once very extroverted and painfully shy. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. But not when it came to acting. No, when it came to acting, it was easy. It just made sense. When it came to acting or playing uh, football, you know, uh, European football, not American football. The only kind. The only kind. The real <laughs> kind. I felt very comfortable. Yeah. Very comfortable. You've also said, to me, an actor is someone who takes on different personalities and you become them. And then when it's over, you get rid of them and you become someone else. I don't want to go through my whole life just as myself. It's much more interesting to pretend to be other people for a little while. Is it hard not to keep aspects of the characters you play? Obviously, you played some awful characters sort of in the lovely bones. I'm not suggesting you're taking on those character traits. But if you're playing a particularly well-written character, are there sort of elements that you do find yourself adopting even when the film stops rolling? Yeah, there's no question that pieces of an accent will stay with you, behavior will stay with you for a little bit and then it's on to the to the next thing yeah. and and as you're preparing for it too it'll start to to kick in a, a bit and you yeah. find yourself phrasing things differently or i think particularly if you're working on an on an accent on an accent yeah. oh yes a dialect yeah yeah and have you ever done like the full character acting where you just don't break character even when you're at home sort of preparing is that no i don't understand that no no, no. <laughs> quite full on well yeah but that would be very disturbing for your children right. I, I just can't <laughs> i think that's a terribly selfish thing i mean some people do it and that's the way they do it and that's great but i don't feel the need to do that yeah i hope that people watch my performances and and don't think, well, maybe he should do that. No, you know? I don't think it's but, often because but, <laughs> but, you know, to me, it really just, look, it, it's pretend. It's all, it's all pretending. It's, it's not like I really am that. I mean, it's, you know, what this is, I think, gets into the whole thing nowadays of why aren't, why isn't the, why aren't you casting so-and-so as a blah, 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 because they really are that. And there are certain times when, yes, I guess that's appropriate, but at the same time, it's pretend. Yeah. We're acting. That's the whole point of it. Then the whole then the whole art form or craft is moot. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. You know, it's sort of like, well, write what you know. Yes, that's true to a certain extent. And yet at the same time, who knows anything about science fiction? Yes. <laughs> I mean, who knows anything about, you know, I mean, it's all make-believe. It's all make-believe. You just make up a story. Roald Dahl just made up those incredible stories. Yeah. And that's the beauty of it. So I guess you don't want to be in danger of losing any of that. No, no. I mean, that's the beauty of art in all its different forms is imagination and stepping into places that are unknown and sometimes uncomfortable. Yeah. I can just imagine if I was an actor, I would just sort of, if there had been particularly witty lines or something in a, in a film, I just know that they would come out in my real life. Yeah, you can't help yeah. but. You can't help but. I mean, if you're 
let's face it, everyone wants to have the the wit of Noel Coward. And if yes. you're reading Noel <laughs> Coward over and over again, you can't help but yeah. want your life to kind of be like that. Okay, I'm glad that's not just me. No, it's not just you. Okay, let's talk about the third Desert Island dish. And that's the best dish you've ever eaten. Oh, my God. As they say in, in, in Italian, possibile, impossible. <laughs> Can you just do the rest of the interview in Italian? In Italian, yes. Yeah, sure. yeah, I won't actually, understand you, but... I'm actually taking Italian lessons oh, again. I am, because I, my Italian is very clumsy. Okay. So I need to... So I've started taking it again. It's really fun. Yeah, actually, it's so really fun. fun. And suddenly you realize, you know, because I learned 45 years ago, and obviously I haven't spoken every day, but when we go to Italy, I'm speaking it, but I'm. it's sometimes embarrassing. So... <laughs> Um, so I'm taking it again. It's actually really fun. Yeah, and suddenly your brain, you know, sort of kicks in. And you go, oh, I had no idea I remembered that, you know. And then other things, really simple things. You're like, how could I not know that, yeah. you know. <laughs> Are you um, trying to get away from answering my question? I am, yeah. yeah I am. <laughs> the, the greatest dish, this is an impossible question to answer, obviously. But you know what I was thinking about today was bouillabaisse. Ooh, Yes. Let's bring let's bring it back. Yeah. <laughs> bring it back. Where'd it go? Um, there's. I was thinking about and and I had this craving for it. And there's this restaurant in Cannes or outside of, of Cannes, you know, where I ate once when I was at the festival once, and it was so delicious. It was so perfect. That's what. But that is like the perfect. It's either that, yeah, or can I say another one? Yeah, of course. Oh, right. Yeah, no, I'm not straight. Oh, okay, I wasn't sure. Right. <laughs> no, I'm going to get in trouble. No. <laughs> um, squid ink risotto with shrimp is really one of the greatest things yeah. ever. So good. Where's the ever. best one you've ever had? Probably in Venice, and there was a place in. In Los Angeles, oddly enough, that used to do it really well. Oh, really? Not, not as much anymore. Okay. They, when they first opened, they were better. Those are two but yes. options. So good. Yeah, it's really just good. so good. Yeah. yeah. I've already had lunch, but I can have, eat yeah. those again. Yeah. So in any career, there are big breaks and elements of luck and timing. Did you have a big break in your career? Because I read that the first time you appeared on Broadway, you did so with a friend and it was their mom who happened to be performing in the show. Mm -hmm. And so you got in there. But when you look back, what do you think your big break was? Or was there sort of the biggest role that you'd had at the time where you thought, I'm really onto something? No, I think when, when I... Made Big Night, it's the first movie I, I co-wrote, co-wrote it with my cousin and co-directed it with a friend. And, and that was a big to-do because the, the movie was, it was the best-reviewed movie of the year. We, weren't, we didn't win any awards or weren't even nominated for anything. Oh, really? No, it was very different back then. Yeah, that's It was 20-some years ago. It was very different. It was in uh, 1996? Yeah. 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 Things were different then. Yeah. So for anyone who doesn't know, it depicts the story of two Italian brothers preparing a make-or-break meal that will decide the fate of their restaurant, Paradise. And it was set in the 1950s in America. And it really surprises me that it didn't win any awards because it's become a cult classic. Yeah, I know. And it was it was not nominated for it was nominated for nothing. But that's just the way it was. We when we were at Sundance, we won some awards, but and some critics' awards or something. But you know. But we made the film we wanted to make, which was fantastic and very unusual that we could 
yeah. do that. And you've got Isabella Rossellini in it. I know. Well, <laughs> she was Campbell Scott's friend who co-directed it with me. And he said, I think, what about Isabella? For that? And I was like, my God, I love her. And yeah, we were very lucky. Yeah. We were really lucky. So you didn't make her audition? No, I don't think so. No, no, no. <laughs> I didn't think It was great. But that, at that time, and I had done a television series that was very, that became very popular and I was nominated for an Emmy Award. And What was at, the television? Uh, Murder One. Okay. And, it, and, it, and those two things happened simultaneously and it was very exciting. And then, like show business does, it sort of ebbs and flows. And so you, you're doing okay for a while and then suddenly you're like, I need a job, you know, and then it goes up again, then it goes down again, then it goes up again. And it just always does that. So is there one in particular big break? Not, not, not really. Yeah. I keep, there are, there have been a series of big breaks. Okay. Yeah. That's a good way of thinking about yeah. it. And, and talking about big night, it's sort of, it's been said that it helped to kick off a revolution in American food culture, which is kind of incredible, isn't it? Because people say that it, it's shone a spotlight on the idea of authenticity when it comes to food. And it really changed the way that people look at and thought about food. Was was that something that you sort of anticipated? No, not at all. <laughs> no, not at all. We weren't trying to make a food movie. We just wanted to make a movie that you were using food as a as an example of of art, of creativity. And instead of a painter, it was a chef. It just seemed the way to do it. And and you know the main themes of the film are the the struggle between commerce and art and what what is the artist's role in society and then you know beneath all that are these relation these relationships that we wanted to sort of in some way change the way people thought the way they thought about italians yeah and italian americans and italian immigrants that they're not this sort of incredibly bombastic you know affectionate, overly affectionate, gun-toting, <laughs> whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah. That actually these brothers, they never touch each other okay. until the very end of the film. They don't even know how to have a fight, physical fight with one another. The mafia is not mentioned in the film at all. And it was, in, that, in that way, it's very unusual. Yeah. I guess it was sort of almost in a sense, the Italian figure had been caricatured and so oh, yeah. was sort of fighting against that and showing a completely different side. Right. And even now, all these years later, it's still held up as one of the greatest films made about food. I know, it's right. weird. I, I know, because we, I mean, people always say, well, what are the recipes in the film? There are no recipes in the film, yeah. save the timpano, which is the centerpiece of the film. Um, the food is a main character in the film. There's no question about it, but we had no idea that it would become as, significant in the food world yeah. as, as it has it's kind of cooler that you didn't plan that yeah yeah if you tried to plan it it wouldn't work when you see people now try to make food movies they usually don't work because they're trying to make a food movie mm. yeah that's i think that applies to so many things in life annoyingly so yeah the harder you try the harder you try it's like yeah it will happen throw it away just yeah. throw it away yeah because you're you're thinking about the result you're not thinking about the process of it What's the, what's the process of, it's like when you watch certain cooking shows, there are a lot of really great cooking shows and a lot of really terrible cooking shows. Yeah. And the ones to me that are terrible is where a person is cooking and they're constantly smiling yeah. and they're, <laughs> and they're looking more at the camera than they are at the food that they're cooking. 
they always say everything is so easy and everything is so delicious or yummy or whatever. It's like me on my Instagram. (laughs) But but you know what I'm talking about. And then you're like, and then they put the food, they taste the food. And before it, there's no way that a person can taste something that quickly. Yeah. Inevitably, they put them in the and go, mmm. And you think, I don't believe you for a second. Yeah. What you may be cooking is probably fine, but I don't believe it. The great, really great cooks and chefs, when you watch them cook, they almost ignore the camera. Yeah. And that's right. And that's when it becomes interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. That's such a good way of thinking about it. Let's pause there and mm-hmm. talk about the fourth desert island dish. And that's your favorite sandwich. Have you ever been asked that in an interview before? No, never. <laughs> I love sandwiches. We used to have, usually when I went, when I went to bed, because I ate like a, you know, a glutton, I would have peanut butter, so toasted bread, yeah, peanut butter, banana, and honey. Ooh, yes. What, just as like a little midnight snack. Mm-hmm. I like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so delicious. So delicious. So that is yeah. a really good sandwich. And has that remained a firm favorite? Yeah, I still love that. I, I, obviously, I can't eat one every night like I used to. And then also just like a grilled cheese with prosciutto or something like that. You know, yeah. prosciutto, maybe mozzarella, and then either just a, a thing of... There's a couple of leaves of basil or basil yeah, or a little bit of pesto in there. So good. Yeah, that's a really good sounding sandwich. Right? Yeah. I know. Yeah. Do you get to have the often? <laughs> Not as often as I want to, yeah. <laughs> so talking about food and films, we have to talk about Julia and Julia, mm-hmm. where you play Paul Child, the husband of Julia Child. And I mean, Julia Child... She's just the biggest icon for so many reasons. She created this idea of the TV chef and she made it all seem so doable. I guess what you were just saying before, she's sort of the epitome of that. And of course, she loved butter. She yeah. <laughs> the best. I have an apron in there. I'll show you later that Nora Ephron gave us all. What does it say? It says, is there anything better than butter? Oh, Nora knew. Nora yeah, and Julia knew. both knew. Yeah. And and I love that Julia Child discovered really at the age of 50 who she was, which I think is so encouraging. I know that you grew up loving the work of Julia Child. Mm. So was it just like a dream come true when that job came up? It was a dream. I couldn't believe it. I mean, I had known Meryl because we had done The Devil Wears Prada. Yeah. We didn't really work a lot together in that film, but I had known her socially and, you know, and we were at a friend's. Christmas party when she asked me, would you be interested in doing this? And I was what like, Meryl asked Meryl you. asked me. I said, are you kidding? You, you know, what do you say? No. <laughs> no I'll thanks. check my diary. Yeah, yeah, maybe, you know. <laughs> and then it was so exciting because I loved Julia Child. I, my mom used to watch her when I was a kid. And I remember, you know, if you were home sick one day or something, or I can't remember when, whatever she was on, but or after school or something, my mother watching her. And I just remember watching and just thinking, that is the greatest thing. Like almost tearing up because she loved what she did so much. Yeah. She was so good at it. And it goes back to, like we said before, that she was, she was never, you never felt like she was performing for you. No. She was simply showing you 
how to do something that she loved. Yeah. You could tell she just, she loved it so much. Yeah. She just, she enjoyed the food so much, which is what you want to see. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. That's it. You don't want to watch someone who, you know, doesn't go home and eat that food. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah don't, there was nothing show offy about it. It was just very straightforward. And the thing is, it was her wonderful personality that, you know, on top of it, that just made it fantastic. Amazing. Yeah. And it's just, it is the most gorgeous film. And the scenes of you two together are just perfect. It's sort of a true love story. How was it working with Nora Ephron, who's just another icon and obviously an incredible woman? Was she as funny in real life as she is in her writing? She was incredibly funny. Was she? I mean, she was as dry as a bone. <laughs> she was, she was great. She was really great. And I mean. So smart. I mean, way too smart. And. She knew what she wanted. She knew exactly what she wanted. And you'd say, well, what about this? And she'd go, no. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh all right. <laughs> right yeah. Thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've been reading her book, I Remember Nothing, recently. And she talks about the process of filming and the idea of films that are flops, mm -hmm. the films that don't do as well as you expect, and that she says nothing can really compare to that feeling. Something she said that really stuck with me was that she said, sometimes the more fun you have on a set, the less likely it is that the film will do well. <laughs> but that doesn't seem to be true with Julia, Julia and Julia. No, we had a great time, actually. And that seemed to work. Also, Deborah's product, that was yeah. maybe the most fun I've ever had. And that worked out. But I do know what she's saying. Yeah. I have had that experience. I, the second film I directed was like that. Oh, really? The set was so much fun and the film was, it just doesn't work, which is my fault. And... It, it is true. It is true. Because you're like, oh, aren't we all so funny? Aren't we all so ha, 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 ha? And then you see the movie, you're like, oh, what's that? That's not funny. <laughs> yeah, she said if you saw the sort of sound engineer rolling on the floor laughing, yeah. you're in trouble. You're in trouble. <laughs> She's right. She's absolutely right. So let's talk about the fifth Desert Island dish. And that's the dish you eat the most often. Well, now, pasta and cannellini beans. Ooh. And so you just saute the cannellini beans and pasta, all different kinds of pasta. Yeah. And you can make it into like a pasta fagiola, like a bean soup, a little bit of pasta. Or have a long pasta and make it just if you pure. I have it in there. I just ate it before. So cannellini beans. You didn't little, save me any. I'm sorry. No, I have some. I have it for you. <laughs> gar garlic, onion, cannellini beans, a little bit of tomato. And then maybe either Swiss chard or kale, yeah, right, which is sort of cooked prior to and then put into that. And the tomato is made separately as well. And then you put that in and some chicken stock. And then you can puree some of it and then put it back into the thing yeah. and then just have it with pasta. And it has everything you want in it. That's it has the amazing. protein, you have the pasta, you have you, all the iron from the veg and it's like the greatest dish in the world and if you wanted to add sh sh like shrimp to it you can add shrimp to it which would be really good too is that a tucci invention no it's, it's i don't know it's just i don't think i've ever had a sauce made from beans like that that's a really yeah, good idea yeah, they, yeah i think it's sort of done and claim yeah. it stanley i'll claim it. it yes i'll claim it yeah <laughs> you can make it with borlotti beans too but i like the kind lady beans because borlotti beans sometimes are such a Slightly more astringent or something. You know how they have that. Yeah. That. I think it's the I, eye. 
Is that what it is? I don't know. I'm making that up. I don't yeah, know. No, no, sounded, yeah, yeah. Sounded good. Yeah. <laughs> so I read a really lovely story about when you were dating your now wife, mm. the lovely Felicity Blunt, and she lived above the Ledbury mm. in Notting Hill, which has to be the coolest place. To have oh, my God. Yeah. And you would go there very often. And one time, didn't they offer you some pheasants to take home? They did. Oh, my God. They were so sweet. This show's such a nice guy. We were talking to him about the pheasant. He said, oh, I have these pheasants. We were like, oh, wow, that's great. Ooh, I'd love to try them. And he brought us downstairs to the kitchen. And he said, and we're looking at them. He said, oh, God, they're so beautiful. And he says, do you want them? And we were like, what are you talking He said, take them. They're all yours. We said, really? He said, yeah, I'll tell you how to pluck them. And he showed us what to do, told us what to do. And the next morning, we had we sat in front of the television you were watching Saturday watching Kitchen. Saturday Kitchen, <laughs> favorite show, and plucked the pheasants. I mean, if that's not romance, that I don't know what is so it. romantic. <laughs> it really is, though. And then you cook them together, and then we lovely. cook them. Yeah, and you two wrote a cookbook together. I know you've you've written two: the Tucci Cookbook, a collection of your family recipes, and then together you wrote the Tucci Table, which is a collection of all the food that you two love eating, which are two gorgeous sounding reasons to write a cookbook. I wondered, what do you think your children would answer if we asked them the first Desert Island dish about the dish that most reminds them of their childhood? What do you think their answer would be to that? Oh, well, I don't know. They might just say... Please say something like a pot noodle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they might say something like pasta con piselli, like pasta with peas and tomato, or pasta con tonno, you know, the, with tomato and the tuna, and tuna fish. Mm, yeah. Whatever it is, it's probably going to be positive. But it might even be like um, uh, veal milanese with, you know, arugula and then chopped tomatoes and with a little bit of garlic and olive oil, you know, on top, you know how you put it on top. They love that. Or chicken or just chicken cutlets. Yeah. It, chicken cutlets is probably their favorite. And even though you're one of the busiest men alive, you do still make a real effort to be there every supper, don't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've, uh, whenever you can be, you, you have to be. Yeah. And cook it. You have to. Oh, the dream, Stanley. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about the sixth desert island dish. Right. And that's your go-to dinner party dish. Either pasta with mushrooms. Yeah. Or... That's one of the classics from your book, isn't uh, it? Yeah, I love that. I love it. Or or risotto with either mushrooms or, let's say, peas and asparagus or something like that, you know. I imagine um, when people come for supper, they're kind of expecting something good. Yeah, I know. I know. And sometimes it just isn't, you know. So you're like, <laughs> I oh, very much bad, doubt you know? that. But also, you know what I do love to make, which is so easy and everyone seems to love it, is sea bass with um, like a whole sea bass. Yeah. You just stuff it with you know, a little bit of garlic and lemon and some herbs, olive oil on top, put it in the oven, super high heat, keep an eye on it, you know, throw some little tomatoes around it, and you know, that's it. Yeah. It's like so easy. Yeah. But don't tell anyone that. But it, like, oh, I know. So I know yeah. I know. But yeah. <laughs> and then you put it in front, you know, it's like beautiful too. Like it's just the way it looks. It's yeah. so pretty. Yeah. A real show, a showstopper. Yeah. Yeah. A centerpiece. It is. Yes. Yes. And do you make a pudding? I never make a pudding. Oh, okay. I never. I'm not a sweet eating person. Okay. And Felicity's not so much a pudding person either. What we'll do is do, she'll do usually do like a big thing of fruit. And then we'll just maybe have like a little honey on the side or something. People dip into the honey or something, yeah, you know. That sounds nice. Um, 
or usually people will bring uh, something. Yeah. But I want to make desserts. Yeah. I, I imagine don't. you making great tiramisu. I know. I imagine that too, but I never have. <laughs> well, you know what you can do this weekend. You've said of your parents that when they would entertain, they were very elegant in the way they did it. Is that something, do you think you emulate in the way you entertain? Oh, without question. Yeah. My kids always go, oh, he's having a dinner party. <laughs> you take it quite seriously. Oh, yes. Yeah. And they, and I go, I see my son sort of, you sort of see his shoulder slump. <laughs> and I go, Nico? And he'll say, yes, yes, Dad. Um, can you get those chairs from the thing and wipe them down? Can you, blah, blah, blah. Where are those candles that I had for the blah, blah, blah. And can you set the table? You know, why didn't anybody, where are those napkins that we had with the, blah, blah, blah. I like you the know. way you set them to work. Yeah. That's what I imagine. Yeah. I and they know now, before. like they know, especially if we're doing like a party outside or something. It's never just like get a cooler and some solo red solo cups no. like that doesn't happen okay no that you're gonna do happen. it you do no, it properly. It's, yes you do it properly okay. yeah and do you get to do it very often well not as you know it's it depends there were it depends you know it's interesting living in london because a lot of friends come through here for work and and that's really great and we've had periods where oh so-and-so like meryl was in town seemed to be in town like a lot oh how convenient and so yeah so <laughs> she would always she was always coming over for dinner <laughs> and emily my sister-in-law when she's working here she would come over with the kids or with john and and you know or other friends shooting movies and they're like i'm going to be there shooting and they just come over for dinner and I was probably unemployed, so I was cooking, you know, <laughs> and it was so great. It was at the house. We had a house right across the street, actually, that we sold in, to buy this house. And and there was this one year where literally we were having dinner parties all the time. It was really fun so through fun. Christmas and, and New Year's and Thanksgiving. And in the summers, we would set a long table up outside and it was really, really, really fun. That sounds amazing. I love it. I well, love you that. Sh you should bring it back. I know, yeah. I know. <laughs> um, so on Desert Island Dishes, we have a cookbook corner. So I wondered, do you have a most treasured cookbook? I think, well, obviously, I go to the book that my parents wrote, you know, that I put together for them. I yeah. didn't really write it. We did a reissuing of it um, was about seven original years. Because was the book that came out with Big Night? No, it no. came out a few years after Big Night. Okay. Um, and it, because that's why people said, like, do, do you have recipes? And we're like, not in the film, but I went to what was then William Morrow and we said we would like to do a book and it would be Northern and Italian cuisine. My friend Johnny Scapino was a Northern Italian chef and who had helped me with Big Night. I said, and my parents' recipes. And they said, yes, and they gave my parents so much money and Johnny to, to write this thing. It took them a year and a half. There was a woman, a friend who wrote it with them. And it's an amazing, I have to say, it's an amazing cookbook. It really, really is a good book. Then we reissued it about seven years ago um, under a different title. And because people were trying to find the book and they couldn't find the book. Oh, right. Because it was out of print. Okay. So wait, that so became the Tucci cookbook. Okay. Right. That's the Tucci. Yeah, that's the Tucci cookbook. It's just sort of slightly pared down version with different photographs and stuff like that. And then Felicity, part of the deal of doing that was I would do a book with Felicity. So we did that. Oh. Um, but my favorite book, I really love this, this one book, which is regional cooking of Italy. Okay. And it's, it just, it's really simple. It's, it's the same book or almost the same book as the silver spoon 
cookbook, which is an Italian cookbook that basically has every cooking recipe, <laughs> you know, from all the different regions of Italy. And they're invaluable. The recipes are very straightforward. They're really, for the most part, simple. Um, but it's a, a huge tome and it's pretty great. If you, I love reading Julia Child's cookbooks, but if you, if you, it's very interesting reading, looking at them now. Yeah, I was going to say. How many years on, you know, because if you really try to cook, for, <laughs> you know, the, the art of, you know, you're like, yeah. <laughs> what? It changed. You wait, how much butter? Yeah. <laughs> That's impossible. No, you know, never impossible. Story. Yeah, it's never impossible. Yeah. <laughs> but I love Giorgio Locatelli's books, Made in Italy and Made in Sicily. Those are great books. And Lydia Bastianich has great books. So do you have quite too. a serious collection? I'll show you later. Okay. Yeah. Um, right. We're on to the seventh yeah. final desert island yeah. dish. That is the last dish you would choose to eat before being cast off to the desert island. You're allowed several courses. I am? Oh, thank God. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so I really love, um, oh my God, it's like impossible. So I love like tortellini in brodo. Mm -hmm. That's a nice thing to start with. Yep. Obviously you start with prosciutto or something. You know, like that. Goes without saying. Calciofi alla Judea and deep fried art small artichokes. Ooh. Like they do them in Rome. But also Carciofi Romani, when they do them, they're so good. And they cook, they like boil the shit out of them. And they're, they're serving with a little parsley and olive oil. And, mm, so good. That, I guess. I would love a bistecca Fiorentina. Mm -hmm. So good. And then even like a main, but it has to be a main lobster. Ooh. You know, from the East Coast of America. Yep. Because the lobster, that lobster to me is the best lobster in the world, just steamed with clarified butter. This, you don't have to clarify the butter. I don't care, yeah. you know. Um, you know, and you know, really, it's you know, lobster is, is very expensive, it's but it's a really meal. simple thing. And corn on the cob from, like New York State corn on the cob from August when it's sweet. And the kernels are almost white with a little bit of butter and salt. And you put that and then you make a fresh tomato salad with just olive oil and basil and a little bit. You rub the garlic around the bowl and you have that. And you, you take the bread. This is what we used to do when we were young. We would take the bread and put the butter on the bread. You have the hot corn. You salt the corn. You rub the butter from the bread onto the corn, mm -hmm. so the corn gets all buttery. Yeah. Then you tasting, you eat the bread because the sweetness of the corn has gone into the bread with the salt and the butter. Yeah. And it's so good. Then you should take that and you have you mop up the oil from the tomato salad with Ooh. the basil and a little bit of garlic yeah. and salt. No, it's incredible. <laughs> it doesn't with like better. a really great white wine from like Villa Sperina or something from Piemonte or something like that. Let's just not go to the desert island. Let's just I know. Meal. Forget about it. Amazing. I don't want to go to the desert island. I can't swim <laughs> anywhere. I don't want to go anywhere. Yeah, that's um, amazing. That kind of that's really great. Yeah. But then I don't know. We could go on forever. We could, you know, we could go into I love pizzoccheri, which is a northern Italian 
dish with buckwheat noodles and potatoes and mm. and greens and it's a very hearty thing that you eat like after you've been skiing or whatever coming down out of the alps whatever you did up there you know i don't i, it, I don't know yeah i feel like this is going to be like a week-long feast before well it would be a week-long feast it yeah. would yeah it really it's, would it's the only sensible thing to do yeah yeah. yeah. Stanley Tucci, those are your Desert Island dishes. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Was this the first interview you've ever done where someone hasn't mentioned Devil Wears Prada? Yes, <laughs> I think it was. But I just did. Yeah, you just did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there we have it. Another delicious day of Desert Island dishes. Don't forget, you can find me on Instagram at Margie Nomura. You can sign up to the newsletter at desertislanddishes.co where you can also find lots of lovely recipes and various bits and bobs to read. Don't forget to leave that five-star review and I will see you next week. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. Bye.